stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. A question is being raised about how the University of Calgary dealt with what I think was a difficult situation for them. Uh, the case of Connor Neurader. Now, this young man has become rather notorious uh, with the uh, high-profile nature of his uh, guilty plea, his sentence, and the way that the University of Calgary dealt with it. Now, if you're not familiar with the details of the story, this young man had pleaded guilty to sexual interference with a minor. This was a case in Kamloops, B.C. It was resolved in November. The judge decided that he would allow Connor Neurader to, to go back to university, complete his uh, semester before serving his 90-day sentence in jail. Now, I think the nature of that sentence is what made it such a controversy. People see that time in prison as part of your debt to society. It's part of the process. You've admitted to a crime. You need to pay a price for that crime. And ideally, then, the price you pay is what helps change your point of view, change your perspective, make you see the light, as it were, help you understand why what you did was wrong. And that's why we impose a jail sentence. Part of it is to protect the public for a certain period of time. But part of it is to send a message to the accused. You did wrong. Here's the price you pay. Here's some time to think about what you did. So I think the fact that this guy hadn't served his jail sentence yet meant that he hadn't gone through that process. And that maybe there was an issue with him being on campus. Clearly, a lot of people felt so. Thousands of people, thousands upon thousands signed a petition calling on the university to kick this guy out. Now, maybe there's a case to be made that the university's own policies uh, regarding sexual violence could apply here. The university didn't go that route. The university maintained that they didn't have the grounds to expel this young man outright, but they made the decision that he was going to be kept off campus. Connor Neurader was advised not to return this semester, and it was made known to him that if he did try, he would be escorted away for his own good, they said. Well, the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association is slamming the university for how they've handled this and what they call is the de facto expulsion of this young man. If a university wants to make the case to expel Connor Neurader, that they need to go about it the proper way. This is a backdoor way of kicking him out of the university. And it's not fair, they say. Joining us for more is uh, Daniel Chivers. Uh, He's an Edmonton-based lawyer. He's the president of the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association. Daniel, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. All right, well, I think the University of Calgary had a difficult uh, situation to deal with, uh, given the, the nature of the, uh, the, the conviction, the concern being raised on campus. So how should they have handled it? Well, uh, they should have followed their policies and uh, procedures. So if they wanted to expel him, they have their own disciplinary process. And I, I think it's clear that they realized that based on that process, they didn't have a basis for expulsion. Uh, but the, the pressure from the... Uh, from the online community, uh, I think they cowered to that to that pressure and essentially gave a de facto expulsion uh, by saying they're going to remove him if he attends on on campus, uh, citing some uh, vague uh, security concerns when uh, their obligation, if there was security concerns for him, should have been to protect the student, not to, to de facto expel him and deal with those security concerns so he could uh, attend as a student on campus like, like any other student. 
Well, and yeah, that, I think that's a fair point. I mean, if the university doesn't believe he belongs on campus, then they should deal with that. But to say that maybe otherwise they would let him attend, but because some people have made some threats uh, that, that they're going to keep him away, do, do they seem to be caving then to, to those threats? They do, and, and they're bypassing the due process and procedure that's in place, and in place for, for good reason, to protect the, the rights of, of students. And it sets a dangerous precedent to, to give in to online community and, and online threats, and, uh, you know, as opposed to, to, to giving in to them, uh, uh, they, they should fight against them in, in our organization's view. Now, the sentence itself, I think, has been at the center of a lot of this controversy, that maybe if he had completed his his sentence before returning to campus, maybe it would have been a different story. There's a perception that he's somehow uh, avoiding the consequences for, for what he did and that he's going to be attending school before he's he's completed his, his sentence. But the nature of this sentence and, and allowing him to serve it after finishing his studies, is that is that unusual? You know, that's not unusual. And first off, we, we made it clear in our comments that we're not uh, defending his criminal acts. These are very significant uh, criminal acts, and he's received punishment for them, very significant punishment where he's going to receive incarceration, probation to follow that and be on a, uh, the Sexual Offender Information Registry Act order. It is quite common for a sentencing judge to balance the needs of the offender and deterrence and denunciation and rehabilitation when imposing a sentence. In a sentence 90 days or less, the, the judge has the latitude to allow it to be served on an intermittent basis, and he used that discretion in this case so he could continue on with his education. And implicit in that is that there's clearly he's not a danger to, to, to the community or the university community or, or to, to others, or that type of sentence would not have been imposed. So it, it very serious offenses, but nothing unusual about that sentence being allowed to, to be served intermittently to allow him to continue his education and move forward, hopefully rehabilitating himself through his education, you know, and to continuing or moving on to be a constructive member of society. Right, and, um, and whether or not you know, the question was whether it's after he serves his sentence or while he serves his, his sentence. Uh, you know, to me, there's there's no real distinction. <laughs> if he's he's not a danger now, he's not going to be a danger ninety days later. So uh, he should be allowed to attend on on campus. How do we determine that question of danger? And I mean, the, the courts will look at it in a certain way, and I guess the public's going to look at it in its own way. And and clearly, there were those on campus who felt that look, this this man has admitted to breaking the law. This man has pleaded guilty to uh, this this offense. And what's to say that he doesn't pose a danger? How do people need to look at this question? Well, you know, this is a, a bigger picture. What do you do with sexual offenders in, in general? And in Canada, you know, we take the approach where uh, we're not going to ostracize these people or isolate them after they've served their, their sentence. We're going to provide them treatment and counseling, and hopefully they're going to move on to be productive members of society. Recidivism rates are very, very low for uh, for this type of uh, for this type of, of offense. So I think we choose to involve 
them in our communities. We choose to allow them to participate in education at, at, at public institutions. Um, there are certain circumstances where people are dangerous, and there's provisions in the criminal code that would allow judges to impose restrictions on their civil liberties to attend at public places and places of that nature when there is a, a danger um, based on uh, what they've committed, the crimes they, they've committed, to allow those sorts of restrictions to be put in place. It's not in this case. And if the courts haven't done it, then the university has to fall back on their own policies and procedures, and they'll have their student code of conduct and disciplinary procedures that they can go through. You know, potentially they might uh, not allow someone in uh, based on going through a, a procedure with due process. But uh, what's particularly disturbing in the situation is that they bypass that procedure. They bypass bypass due process and again what we consider a de facto expulsion uh, based on this security threat. All right. Well, if, if say, hypothetically, then uh, some of this controversy dies down and this young man is welcome back on campus, say, in, in the fall or at some point in the near future, would, would that mitigate some of the harm you think that how they've handled it now has caused? Um, you know, would it mitigate the harm? I think the harm has, has largely been done. I'm not certain whether he'd even choose to come back to the institution or even come back immediately if uh, the offer was made to him with assurances that they're going to take the necessary steps to to look out for his safety. So, you know, I'd be hopeful that they'd provide him an opportunity to come back to, to campus in a safe and secure environment as soon as possible, at least give him the option to do that. And most hopeful that they'd reflect on how they handled this situation and uh, would uh, deal with things differently in the future. Right. And if they don't want him there, then it's up to the university to, to make the case for why his presence would be in violation of their own policies and rather than take the easy way out. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens from here. Daniel, appreciate uh, your input on this. Thanks for joining us here. Thank you. That's Daniel Chivers, president of the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association. Again, they're, um, they're not representing Connor Neuauer. In fact, I understand they've not been in contact with the family at all. Uh, they're calling at the university for how they've handled this. I think part of it is fair criticism because the university did appear to be caving uh, to the very extreme reaction on campus uh, to, to this guy being there. But at the same time, I don't know that it's unreasonable that, that individuals would say to the university, look, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with this guy being on campus. What are you doing about the situation to at least get some clarification? So they, they're put in a tough spot, and that's the decision they made, which does in part seem as though they are caving, though, to some of the more extreme reaction. Are they going to let this guy back in in the fall? Are they going to let him back in whenever he manages to serve his sentence? Is that the issue for the university? Is anybody who's ever been convicted of a crime welcome on campus? Is it only the fact that he pleaded guilty just a few months ago? Would it be a different case if the guilty plea was a few years ago? At what point is someone who has a criminal record welcome to uh, attend classes at the University of Calgary? Certainly we expect people who've been convicted of a crime, paid their debt to society, to try to move on with their life, to try to better themselves, to try to get out of that situation they were once in and be contributing members of society. That's going to include education for a lot of people. So, yeah, I mean, it's reasonable that this guy would seek to complete his university studies as part of getting on the right track. How does the university or any university need to respond? 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this.
Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.